Welcome. You're listening to WO Voices, a podcast series from Women in Optometry magazine. I'm Marjolyn Bailefeld, editor of Women in Optometry. We're delighted you could join us. We're here today with Michelle Andrews, OD. She's the Senior Director of Professional and Academic Affairs at CooperVision. Exciting things are going on at CooperVision, and certainly exciting things are going on in the category of myopia management. And that's what we're going to talk about. What are we learning about myopia and myopia management, Dr. Andrews? Oh, that's a great question. This is probably one of the most active fields in eye care research right now, Um, and not just research, but we're learning from practitioners who are seeing patients in office. I think for CooperVision, one of the things that has been very helpful in our learning curve around myopia management is really around what parents know and and believe about myopia and contact lenses in children, and then what eye care practitioners know and believe about contact lenses in children. That that, that information has been very enlightening and and very helpful to us as we go forward with with our programs in myopia management. Let's start with parents. How familiar are parents with myopia management? Parents really do believe that eye care in general and good vision is important for their children. They do rank eye care and eye health high when you ask them about its importance in their, in their child's life. What is interesting, though, is if we dig a little bit deeper and ask more specific questions to actually validate their knowledge about myopia, um, what we learn is that there are some some pretty meaningful gaps. Um, for example, in some research that we did this past summer uh, with over a thousand parents, only one in three actually knew that myopia is nearsightedness. And so something is very basic around what what myopia is and how to, does it affect how my child sees is is foreign to a lot of them. They really don't understand it. And a lot of them are going to be people who, like me, started wearing glasses as a youngster, but our myopia progression tapered off. Is what's going on now different? Yeah, what we're seeing now is um, an increase in this, both the incidence and the severity of myopia. And so more children are becoming myopic, but more children are becoming high myope. So we're talking about above minus five, above minus six. And so that genetic component that we always knew was there is now being impacted by the environmental factors that we see. And and in some cases, we don't know exactly how this all works, but we know that lack of time outdoors is playing a role. We know that our world with digital devices is playing a role. Um, and so we're starting to identify these risk factors that can help us identify children earlier so that we can perhaps intervene before they get on this path of my prescription continues to get stronger and stronger every year. Is it difficult to convince or educate parents that this isn't following the same path necessarily that their childhood myopia may have? So when, when we look at whether or not parents are, are worried about myopia, um, it's very interesting. In general, parents are not worried about the progression of myopia in their children. In general, 
Um, even those who are myopic themselves, they draw from their own experience, which has been often, I go in for refractive care, my contacts and glasses are updated on a regular basis, and at some point, the prescription stabilizes. Some then elect to, to get LASIK and, if you will, correct the problem. And, of course, we know they're not correcting the problem, but, but there is a mindset that this is just what myopia is. For those parents who have higher degrees of myopia and really understand the impact that that has on their children, both from a quality of life standpoint, from a dependency on correction perspective, they are more likely to be receptive to opportunities to slow that down. Um, and in fact, some of the higher myopes, parents who are higher myopes, may be the ones saying, isn't there something we can do? And so I think it really depends on their own experience um, with, with myopia and nearsightedness and how informed they are that there might be a, a change and, and there's an opportunity to, to approach this differently. Let's talk about, without getting too deep into the clinical aspects, which are available through CooperVision, our friends at uh, Review of Myopia Management, the Brian Holden Vision Institute, for example, where clinical updates are, are posted regularly. But let's, let's talk about what generally is different now. Yeah, what we're seeing in general and what we're trying to draw uh, ECP's attention to is the fact that there are increased risks for conditions that result in irreversible vision loss, even at lower amounts of myopia. And so, for example, the difference between a child being minus 275 uh, compared to a minus 325 is, is the difference is a three times, uh, three time increase at, for the risk of retinal detachment at that higher amount. And so, what we're trying to help ECPs understand is that even at what may have historically been viewed as lower amounts of myopia, there is still um, there's still risk and probably a risk that we shouldn't be comfortable with. Now, what's interesting is that while that, that data, when we see these charts, that is really, uh, those seem to really create a sense of urgency for the optometry population. However, parents... Um, not only do they not respond to that kind of information, they actually respond in a negative way. Because their understanding of myopia is, is what it is, and it's, it, there's some gaps there, if an eye care practitioner were, were to approach a parent with, with that information, the parent almost feels like they're trying to be um, frightened into a treatment protocol or scared into a treatment protocol. And what we're finding is that parents really do respond to helping their children have a better quality of life, lower prescriptions, not having the thick glasses, not having as much dependency, allowing them to have better vision so that they have more choices later. And so it's, it's interesting to learn and understand that what motivates one important group, which is the eye care professionals who, who are prescribing the products, there's different information that ultimately motivates and inspires the parents and the patients to want to follow through with those recommendations. I think the important piece of it is, first of all, for the optometrist to realize that, yes, we can share that information, but the focus really needs to shift to quality of life. And it really needs to shift to what the child um, 
can do and how we're trying to hold the axial length as much as we can, reduce that prescription as much as possible um, to make things easier for them going forward. I think it's also important to recognize that when you're talking to parents about myopia and myopia progression for the first time, um, recognizing that that there's probably going to need to be a number of conversations that you have with the parent, um, that we're not going to, they're not going to just immediately understand all of it, appreciate the significance, and enroll their child in a multi-year program based on one conversation. And so this idea of integrating myopia education into the clinical protocol and into the conversation now becomes even more important when we look at what we're actually look, anticipating and, and looking for parents to actually sign up for. Should that conversation be had with the parent of every myopic child? Um, well, we know that not every child becomes a myope that progresses. There are certainly um, many scenarios of people who um, are myopic and have remained relatively stable over the course of their lifetime. Um, so the key is to really identify these children when it's most critical, which is when they're younger, and look at those children who have the highest risk factors for progression. And so we look at things like what is the prescription uh, for the parents? Are one or both parents myopic? What age is the child and what is their prescription at that age? Um, if we do have serial exams, we look at the rate of change of myopia over time. Um, but we also look at the child's lifestyle and how much time the child is spending indoors versus outside or the, the activities that they do um, when they're not in school and how much of that occurs at near point. When we look at you know, a number of those factors together, that gives us a profile of those children who are most likely to progress quickly and who are most likely to end up with the highest refractive errors. So the launch of the MySight lens is adding new options for families and for eye care professionals, right? It does. I mean, the, the MySight lens provides some really great opportunities. First of all, for the parent and the child, the MySight lens is a one-day lens. And so the child can insert the lens in the morning, remove it, and discard it after uh, at the end of the day. We all, I think, agree that for children wearing contact lenses, a daily use lens um, is, the, is the preferred modality. And so from the standpoint of contact lenses in children, this is a great option. And with parents now wearing one-day lenses for many of their vision correction needs, parents are also familiar with this modality. Uh, what's great for the eye care practitioner is really the same. They can offer an FDA-approved lens to the parent, they can talk about the safety profile of one-day lenses, and most parents, because they're concerned about, you know, their ch child handling a lens and being able to take care of them, it really does give the eye care professional confidence, not only in their ability to prescribe the lens and fit the lens, but that the child can be successful with it. So it really does open up significant opportunities um, for the industry. First of all, congratulations on the launch of the lens. That's a, a big deal for you. And and now you've you've also developed this program to support it? We have. I think one of the big big responsibilities that we have here is understanding that even though we have a 
very strong product, a product that has great clinical and safety data behind it. What the, what the product does not do is change the attitudes and beliefs and perceptions of parents in and, in and of by itself, and nor does it change the, um, lear, uh, the knowledge and attitudes and beliefs from my care professionals. And so the idea that the product could come into the marketplace and suddenly parents would know that myopia is nearsightedness, it just doesn't work that way, obviously. And so the approach that we're taking to bringing the product into marketplace is taking all of these learnings that we have around what do parents believe? What do they believe about myopia? What do they believe about kids and contact lenses? Um, and helping educate the ECP on what they will come up against in terms of barriers in being able to prescribe the lens successfully. Not because the child can't wear it, not because the child won't be happy in it, not because it, it, it doesn't work, but rather getting, even getting to the place where the parent and the child understand the significance of what they have and are motivated to move forward with the fitting process. So our approach is we have a great product, but there's all sorts of other components to it that will enable both the eye care professional and the child to be successful. And that's why we're, we're bringing it to market the way that we are. What are some of the top few barriers? Are they with the eye care professionals or with the parents? Yeah, the, the top barriers are, they are similar between parents and eye care professionals. Um, first, knowledge of myopia is not where it needs to be. And we've talked a little bit about parents, you know, in that one third don't even know that myopia and nearsightedness are the same thing. But even within ECPs, there are, are some that are, have just not stayed current with the new information that we have around myopia. This idea that the, the incidence is increasing, the severity is increasing, and how all the inter environmental factors are playing in. So I think the first thing is there's a knowledge gap among parents and eye care professionals. The second thing is that parents are largely uncomfortable with young children, and I'm talking about eight to 10-year-olds, um, wearing contact lenses. They aren't really sure why they're uncomfortable with it, but they're uncomfortable with it. And that's, they generally believe their children can't be successful. Our research shows that eye care professionals are also hesitant to recommend contact lens wear in a population of that age. And so probably the second most important element is that we have to help eye care professionals and parents understand that children um, are very capable of wearing soft lenses. They're very capable of taking care of these lenses, and they can be very successful in them. I think finally, Marjolyn, the third piece is that even when we get through the education around myopia and the parents and the practitioner move forward with fitting, um, the third piece is that everybody still needs support. Uh, this is a long-term commitment from the parent, and so they will need continual support from the practice to ensure that their child is doing well. And because this is such an evolving field, even practitioners who are in the myopia management space are still saying, we need help. We need help understanding new research as it comes out. We need help understanding clinical protocols. Help me get better at taking great care of my children, uh, the children in my practice with myopia. So I'd say those are the three most important things that we've um, taken into account when building our program. 
How exciting is this to be in the industry in your leadership spot at this time when the technology and the research is kind of coalescing around this public health effort? This is probably going to be uh, the most exciting thing that happens to me in my career uh, in terms of eye care. You mentioned everything kind of coming together at one time. Um, and being in, in Cooper Vision, certainly, at this point in time is significant. Having the opportunity to bring this product to market, um, not only bringing it to market, but bringing it to market the way that we are is, is certainly significant. Probably the bigger, the bigger element um, for me personally, and I think for Cooper Vision as well, is really leading the way in changing the standard of care around pediatric myopia. Um, we really do feel a great sense of responsibility to get this right, um, to make sure that we are doing everything we can to help eye care professionals partner with their families and make this long-term commitment successful. It is um, such a great place to be right now in this profession, and I hope that I hope that pro- this product and others that will come after it continue to inspire optometry to take hold and really do everything we can to shift the way we approach uh, progressing pediatric myopia in in practice. Um, This is just a really, really exciting time. That's great. And it's going to have an impact for years to come, obviously. Clearly, there are other areas of care that fall directly into optometry's wheelhouse, dry eye and AMD, for example. But this feels a little different, doesn't it? Because it, it affects the whole lifetime of these kids. Absolutely. And and the other thing that, that we're finding as we continue to um, connect with, with many people on this topic is people outside of eye care are starting to recognize the significance of this as well, starting to recognize how we should be looking at children's health and wellness overall, um, much of what we would prescribe or or hope to see in a myopia management program, there are other professional professions that are looking for the same thing for children. So, for example, in our partnerships with pediatricians, they're valuing health and wellness checks, time outdoors, great vision. All of those things matter to them as well. Um, when we talk to school nurses, they are looking at this and saying, well, we always knew that good vision was important to childhood development, to the educational process. We've advocated for time outdoors um, and other things. And so to have to see groups like this come together and say, let's focus on the well-being of children in general and let's look at it holistically provides exactly what you said, Marjolyn, just another way of looking at this, not just for the short term, but for a long-term commitment for the right reasons. Dr. Andrews, for the listeners who may not know this, was awarded a 2019 THEA Award from Women in Optometry. And your leadership in the industry, Dr. Andrews, really shines, especially with this latest advancement. Thanks for being a guest on WO Voices. It's great to be here. Thank you again, Marjolyn. Thank you for listening. I hope you join us again next time on WO Voices. If you'd like to be part of our podcast series, please contact us. You can email us at wovoicesonline at gmail.com or via our website, womeninoptometry.com, on Facebook at WO Magazine, or through Twitter or Instagram at WomenODs. See you next time.